Welcome to Two Chicks Talk Writing. I'm Isabella. And I'm McGee. Welcome to our show. Welcome to our podcast. We're going to talk to my friend Heidi today, who I am super proud of as doing my audiobooks for my indie books that I have out. And gosh, you've done like a dozen now. Tell us about yourself, Heidi. Hello. I am uh, actually a professional classical singer that has kind of aged out a little bit and I've switched over to a little more musical theater. I teach voice. I taught at a university here for about 10 years until I burned out. And then I discovered uh, this company called Learning Ally, which records audiobooks for the blind and disabled. And I volunteered with them for four or five years. And then the pandemic hit. And I was like, perhaps I can make actual audiobooks and get paid and doesn't have to be volunteer. And so I looked into that and there we are. You kind of explained how you got started. Um, what's one thing that you want authors to know before they even contact you? That is a good question. One of the things that uh, I find works best with authors is if we communicate well and everyone communicates differently. I've had some authors that are Luddites, self-professed Luddites. And as long as the communication is there, that's the most important thing. Some authors just, you know, may, a lot of times they work through a publisher. So I often just give them my personal email address so we don't have to be communicating through the publisher or through ACX so that they can just, you know, send me a message you know, or if I have a question about something. Well, I think I was thinking in terms of when an author approaches you, what do they need to know about this process that they might have misconceptions about? For example, I give you my audiobook. You should be able to kick this out in a week. No problem. It's <laughs> not, it, it'll go just like that. It's all edited. Let's well, talk about, let's talk about process and what really okay. happens behind the scenes. I, I can do it in a week, <laughs> but it depends on the length. A lot of people saying, hey. I, <laughs> um, I spend about four to five hours a day working on any book. And I usually have multiple books in rotation so that if I'm reading something that's particu particularly um, difficult, such as um, some, some have, you know, um, abuse in them. Some books have, um, one book had a lot of cannibalism. Uh, I, <laughs> I agreed to a book and didn't get a chance to read the book beforehand. And I had read another of this author's books and I really enjoyed it. So I thought, I'll just do it. Even though the other narrator pulled out, I was like, eh, it'll be fine. Um, it was gross and depressing and surprisingly selling very well. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I, I decided that I would try and do two books simultaneously. It just, it really just depends on the deadline. Um, knowing spooky season was coming up and I have a lot of ghosty paranormal books. I wanted to be sure I got those in the queue as fast as possible. Um, it goes really fast if an author will edit as we go along. Some, so, I mean, I have had some people that the publisher doesn't even check 
no one gets a second set of ears. And I don't think that's a good idea because so my process is um, I just check to make sure, you know, check the contract and everything else. Um, I get the PDF going. I got, um, got my little room set up and I just dive right in, start chapter one. I keep a list of all the chapters and all the pages so that I know approximately how long each chapter is going to be uh, to record. I can usually record for about an hour and a half in one day. And so that could be two chapters, that could be five chapters, depending on the author. Then um, if, especially because you get tired doing it, I'll um, break for lunch, come back, and then I'll listen and edit. And when I go through, I have to, you know, with audio files, you have to um, delete background noise. You got to make sure you don't have a lot of breath noises. You have that nice little pop screen. I have a pop screen that's made out of pantyhose and... Uh, I do everything as inexpensively as possible because I want to see if it works. So once I start editing, I go through, I've really streamlined it. It used to be very, very cumbersome for me, but now I know exactly how many microseconds I'm going to put at the beginning and the end of a file, what I'm going to put in between chapters or sections within a chapter. But of course, before I start reading, I try to get a character list from the author beforehand, if at all possible. Some authors are just like, you just go for it. And I'm like, okay, you know, it's, it's risky, but I'll do it. Because as you're reading, sometimes an author won't, you know, like unless you read through the whole book, you don't know about the surprise twists, or sometimes you don't even know, like if it's a voice in the background, you have no idea who the mystery person is supposed to be. Does the voice inform that? That some of the things that happens with some books is um, you have a mysterious person that's someone who you already know. And the question is, are you going to tip the readers off by doing that actual person's voice? Or are you going to do sort of a neutral voice? So I really choose my character uh, voices and I, I have everything. I should have brought it down here. I have a, a legal pad sheet and I keep all my character notes on it. I keep all my chapters on it. I keep chapter times on it because sometimes I'll submit and ACX has been a little buggy lately and um, only half of the chapter will get submitted. And so, you know, I'm not going to listen through ACX to the whole file all over again because some files are like 25 minutes long. That is a long time. There's no fast forward feature on ACX. So I have to do it all on my own. So I keep rigorous um, notes that. I have a check mark for if I've recorded it, actually, yeah. And then the other one is if I've scrubbed it, so I've gotten rid of all the background noise. Another check mark for if I've edited it. And then a last check mark for if it's been uploaded into ACX. And then the like one of my authors right now, she'll listen as we go along and then she'll give me feedback and say, you know, at, at 358 in this file, the character says, blah, blah, blah. I meant to write this, or I would like this sort of thing. And so then I go back, take it off of ACX, you know, fiddle with my file, fix it, and then re-upload it for them. And so then you have to find your audio sample for selling, and you have to put opening and closing credits. And some authors will actually upload all the chapters and everything beforehand. Sometimes I do it. I mean, I don't care. It's really easy. And then when I'm done, I submit it. And now ACX has gotten really fast. 
you know, two weeks, less than two weeks. Sometimes a book is right there, right up there. Wow. So, so one book or what 20 minutes will take me, they say three, uh, one recorded hour of an audiobook equals six hours of work. I'm not sure if, if it takes me that long, but I'm very careful about how far I am from the mic, how much I breathe into the mic. I got to watch the peas. It's always the peas. And when you're excited and you're doing like acting um, and the is so loud, I have to re-record it. And I hate to do that because it really ruins the, um, the emotional impact of what I'm trying to get across. Uh, I will say the voices are probably my favorite part and the scariest. And then accents too, because sometimes like I have one book that's set in India with a uh, American protagonist, but we couldn't, I could not do an Indian British accent as a, you know, a white person. So I opted, I did some research and I opted to go for a general British accent, just plain old British accent. And then, uh, you know, made my characters accordingly, you know, in that book. That was a really fun challenge to do. And we just finished that when it should be up on ACX in a couple of weeks. So I would say a typical book takes two weeks and I, I work four to five hours a day. And I also work on weekends because I love it. And I, I just enjoy doing it so much. It's, it's also part of my acting that I haven't been able to do through COVID. So it's really kind of scratched that performance itch that I haven't been able to do and you know then all the characters become your friends and to me it's a very fulfilling thing to do people one of the very first things they say on when you look up how much money does an audiobook narrator make first of all you're not just a narrator you're also the producer and mm -hmm. that is that's the most work but it's not about the money you're raking in it is about enjoying the process like anything else. If you do make a lot of money, great. But for me, it's just like any other passion or career. I mean, I just did a show. We had 12 or 15 shows. I made, I think it worked out to maybe $5 an hour when you consider all the time we put into it. That's wow. sadly what your performers are making nowadays. We don't make, first of all, we don't make a living wage. And the insurance I get is through my spouse, you know, Mm -hmm. So, and audiobooks, I don't think are any different, but I do have that luxury and, but I have, you know, streamlined my process and researched and figured out how to do all this stuff. But the most important thing is I'd like to give a plug to Learning Ally because they trained me working with them for four or five years. I, I, cause I was teaching in the afternoon when I quit my university job, I didn't have anything. I had these mornings that were stretching out before me and I was panicking cause I needed something to do. Because, you know, people aren't taking voice lessons till after school. So I looked into Learning Ally and they, they teach you about, you know, cadence. They teach you about noise, background noise, popping, continuity, you know, <laughs> like I'm, you don't want to keep moving around and uh, that sort of thing. So they, and they're very, very strict about looking up pronunciations. So... And as a, as a singer and a voice teacher of diction, 
I sing and speak several, I don't speak fluently any language except English, but I do a lot of foreign language things. And so I know the resources to look something up. I'm not just going to throw a, well, I think it sounds like this out there. Like this last book I read had a few Indian phrases and I really did my research. I looked it up, learned how to say it so that it's very respectful of the author, especially not just, not just the culture, but the author. I want to make sure the author gets what they imagine Mm -hmm. especially if it's you know reasonable if it's possible to give them that so tell us a little bit about the learning ally who are they and since this is what basically launched you into this genre maybe we can give them a little plug and you can uh, tell us about them they are i stumbled upon them i was you know, just doing some very cursory uh, research. I love to read. And one of the things I do when I have a lot of time is I'll take an online course just for fun, you know, oh, dog cognition sounds good. Nutrition. I love it. And so I, I somehow I stumbled upon reading books for learning allies. So what they do is they teach you their conventions and their conventions are the step-by-step process for recording and then you get a checker and then then they also have another checker then it goes to post-production and then it goes up so i I really wanted to do literature but you start off doing textbooks which i love textbooks so and i got to read the german textbooks which was awesome i even did some spanish i'm so proud of myself but those of course were kindergarten so it's not fancy <laughs> Spanish, um, <laughs> but uh, so what they what you do is you end up just starting with checking. So what you first do is you sign up. You know they train you. You go through a very extensive training process, and then you uh, and you use their software, and you get your equipment. You get your mic. Have my laptop. You find a quiet space. And so I would check other people's errors and I go through and you learn how to do that. It is exactly what I do for myself when I do my own text or my own books. Then I discovered once I finally started recording, I was doing, I was good. I was doing science textbooks and, you know, because I can figure out how to say those really long, complicated words, but also they have this vast network of professionals, many retired teachers and professors who are reading these textbooks. And so we work together and, you know, they correct me, especially the microbiology and um, chemistry. Ooh, that was tricky. But I had these wonderful friends I met who taught me how to say these formulas. And so you learn, and the most important thing for them is everything is standardized. So that when a person opens up their textbook and someone's reading it, they know exactly what to expect from textbook to textbook. And textbooks are very complex and not at all standardized. And so all of those things taught me how to standardize my own files. So instead of you know reinventing the wheel, I learned how to put exactly the right amount of space in different places. In Learning Ally, they teach you how to speak. And you hear it in professionals when something is emphasized, you have a pause and you say it in a slight pause and afterwards. So people understand that that is bold or underlined or whatever. So not only did I learn a ton about biology and sociology and midwifery and all different things, I 
also started to do some literature and I was having a blast. I got to read Outlander and a whole bunch of other books. And because I speak a lot of German, I got to do a lot of Holocaust books. The thing with learning ally is you don't have the copyright issues that you do with for profit mm -hmm. audiobooks. Like for instance, you can't sing a song that isn't in the public domain, which I did not know this. Happily, yeah. one of my authors is also a publisher and she's very up on the rules. And so she figured out it was going to be so beautiful. There was this little snippet of the song in there. She's like, we can't do it. Can't have it. Even though I'm a singer and that's my primary job, the word that you can speak the lines, but you can't sing them, you know, have the a performance because, you know, we don't have the rights to that song. So I've learned a whole bunch of those fun things too. But Learning Ally um, trained me. And in fact, that was one of the suggestions that uh, when I was looking to do audiobooks, they said, work with Learning Ally for a little while. Because now I can't tell you how many people have approached me to tell them how to do audiobooks. And it is, it's sort of like saying, can you teach me some ballet? We as actors, we're, you know, we can automatically just read things and it's really good, but we also know that there's been a ton of training behind that acting. It is not spontaneous. It's not something you are just born to do. I've worked that craft. So reading audiobooks is a, an amalgamation of a bunch of different disciplines that have been brought together. I mean, I would love to read poetry and all this other stuff. People can't just jump in. And I've just started charging a consulting fee because well, I think that's smart because, you know, you don't want to give away the key, keys to the kingdom without getting a little something for it. I mean, I've worked my my booty off, sure. you know, doing this and um, and I have high quality work and I will I will train someone to have high quality work. But it isn't just like sit down one day and learn how to do it. You right. know, I had hours, uh, years of training before I even started doing it. So it is. It sounds so good in theory and so many of my actor friends are like, oh, this is going to be great. But you don't make the same kind of money as you do with regular voiceover work, but you also need an agent in voiceover work oftentimes. Mm -hmm. And um, it's very capricious. And I was like, I just like the slow and steady wins the race kind of thing. Plus, I love to read. So what could be better than reading essentially for a living, you know, and performing all at the same time? So what would you say is the hardest part of your job? If you had uh, to pick something that's just like you dread it, you know, you have to do it. <laughs> is it the editing part? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's sitting. There's so much sitting. And I actually sit on a yoga ball when I do it because I really, you, you have to have good posture when you record as a voice person. And I teach voice and I've been teaching, you know, voice for a long time. If you develop a habit of sitting poorly as I am right now, it puts a lot of pressure on your vocal cords. And so you have to realize, you know, I really have to watch my posture. I have to watch not breathing noisily. There's like, you gotta make sure you're not dehydrated because then there's lots of pops and blah, blah. And then not something that would make your stomach growl as you're going along because that is you know annoying too but i do find that the part that i dread is um if i'm reading a book i don't particularly enjoy that has really long chapters i don't like i do not like to sit down and record half of a chapter i need to record the whole thing editing i can take a break 
And I figured out how to even record on the road, you know, find, you know, make myself uh -huh. a little studio. I've, when I was on the road this summer, I was in my mother-in-law's costume closet because she also does theater. So I locked myself in this tiny closet and um, recorded, you know, holding my mic and, you know, trying to balance things and I'm trying to move around the wigs and the fur coats and stuff. I, but I was able to do it on the road. So one of the things I did learn is sometimes I'll batch it. So I'll write, I'll read like five chapters in a row. And then when it's noisy or when there's a lot of people around, that's when I can edit and then take my time editing. But I can't start a chapter and not finish it. And sometimes some books aren't edited well. Some books are just, you know, have extra stuff maybe they don't need in them. They're really, really long. Or one of the books I read was very heavy and depressing. It was when I was reading one of your books, McGee. And I was like, I got to jump over to Diamond Lake <laughs> <laughs> because it's so much, you know, so much less heavy. And, and I do think, you know, I'm not a writer, but I think what distinguishes a good writer, it's just like in a TV show, is when there's too much trauma, you know, knowing how to balance it out. It's, um, you know, I'm reading a book two or sometimes three times and it can be really depressing. And so I have to, you know, limit that. And that's why, that's why I usually keep two projects at least going at the same time, you know, so that I can keep myself from stabbing my eye with a pencil. <laughs> do you have a question for McGee? I do. I know how I selected you. I went onto ACX and I asked for submissions. I think I got like 10 in a week. I was blown away. I thought I might get one. Then I went online and kind of looked up your stuff and I saw all these books that you had done. And I thought, well, wow, she really has been doing some stuff. She, you know, and the actress thing, I thought, well, this might be catching lightning in a jar because I have an actress <laughs> during COVID who will read my book. This might not, I better hurry up and sign her before, you know, she changes <laughs> her mind. So this is a long intro to say, how do you decide what author and or book that you're going to read? If there are a ton of typos in your audition selection. I'm like, why? This is unnecessary. You know, that that's clearly it hasn't been edited. And, you know, I don't feel like that's worth my time. Another thing is, uh, I mean, if it's really, really hokey and not written well, I'm like, Bleh. no. Or if the audition is like 20 minutes long, I, I don't think an author needs to hear 20 minutes because that 20 minutes takes me a minimum of 40 minutes to put out there. Right. And that is a long time for not getting paid. I mean, it's not all about the money, but I mean, I do respect my art and I don't want to undervalue it. So I do watch those sorts of things. There are books on ACX. You have to watch out. There are scammers out there that are trying to get people to I don't even know what they're getting out of it because I recognized one and I, I let ACX know about it and they thanked me about it. But you, you see it all the time. The biggest thing, we don't always get a chance to read through the entire manuscript before we accept the contract. And so we have to really base a lot of it on what the audition is out there. If the author is going to communicate with you. If I send a message to the author and they don't bother communicating, I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't even know. One of the things I do look for too is um, I research the books that are going. If if they have some reviews on Amazon, that's good. If their their book is not 
5,670,000 on their ranking list on Amazon. You know what I mean? If someone's got several stars and they're at like 100,000 something, I'm like, oh, that might be a good book because you know it's going to sell. There's a few books. I mean, most of the books are authors that are brand new and I do want to give them a chance. I have found a few, you know, not just McGee and Annette, but I found other authors that are so fun to work with, just hilarious and funny. And we get a really good rapport going. And that's helpful because in fact, one of the books I was reading, my author said, you know, I really like the way you did this character. Where, what is that accent you're doing? Because I need to write a backstory for her. So I was able to contribute to future books and characters by my interpretation of the character in earlier books. And I was like, ah, oh, thank you. That's really cool. <laughs> it was really cool. It's a very symbiotic uh, relationship, I think. Genres that you really like to work with? Is there some oh. that you totally stay away from? And are there any that you're like, oh, give me more, give me more, give me more? I love scary books. I love spooky. I just did a set of paranormal books that are really fun. I'm doing a zombie book right now. Believe it or not, there's a big niche crowd for that. I do enjoy lesbian romance, which I'd never read any until Miggy and I met. And now I've done six, I think five or six lesbian romances, lesbian fiction, and I love it. I have a ton. Uh, we have a very large gay community here in Savannah. It's, I feel very proud that I'm part, I can be part of the community in some way. The books that I don't like to do, really, it would just be something that's poorly written. I really, I love to read. I like science fiction. I mean, I love historical fiction. I love poetry. It would just, I would have to say the only things I don't like are just poorly written books. You know? That makes sense. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Mm -hmm. McGee? I feel like Maybe now the next time I send you a manuscript, I should pre-edit it for reading out loud because a lot of, <laughs> now that I've tried to read some things, you know, at re author readings and I'm like, I can't, I can't say this. <laughs> and then I listen to Heidi, I'm like, she said it. So, <laughs> so I may need to think about some of those alliterations that you inadvertently put in your book. Oh, I love alliterations though. I always think they're done on purpose. Oh no. <laughs> And I did find the, the first book I was better to send the colloquial phrases or words, the, you know, a lot of the- It was Native super Americans. helpful. Was in Michigan, there's a lot of, well, like everywhere, I think in, in yeah. you know, everywhere that colonization's taken place. But we also pronounce them as white people too. And so if I try and pronounce something, especially in freaking Wisconsin. Everything has these French or Native American and they, they mispronounce the French. It makes me crazy. You know, LaCroix. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't deliberately mispronounce French. Right. I mean, I feel like the least I can do is sit and listen to what you've done before I say, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I, the authors that I feel like the only one author I know for sure didn't listen to it beforehand because the, whoever his publisher was, Pretty much, I don't know if they did it, but I didn't have a single correction from them on that entire book. Mm -hmm. And I was, he, now his writing, he's from 
he's French Canadian. His parents are from Europe and stuff. So he used a lot of really sophisticated, difficult words in there. I know I said them correctly, but um, I, you know, I do not mind at all having someone go through and double check it because I double check it. But just like when you're editing anything, you can miss the easiest thing that's sitting right in front of you. And it's, it's glaringly obvious to someone else. And it's really embarrassing when you don't get it exactly right. If an author has an obvious typo or something, I'll make sure, I mean, they obviously meant to say blah, blah, blah. Sometimes spell check changes things. So, you know, it's not a big deal, but if an author has something in there, I'm going to do what they have written. I do appreciate when there's an accent and someone gives me like, McGee, that first book, you gave me very, very specific instructions, including the International Phonetic Alphabet, which I love. But I mean, I don't mind taking creative license and that's fine, but I will say it is tricky doing a book with all female characters. (laughs) (laughs) It is tricky to get everybody have enough difference between the characters. It can be like, I have to really visualize that person because I want to write down in my notes. Like if I know someone's tall, they're probably going to have a deeper voice. Like if someone's really perky and is walking around in a certain way, I know they're going to have a different kind of voice. So I try to get that as soon as possible. But McGee, your character is always really um, well-developed. I, you know, I know who they are in my mind when I start reading them. And that really helps. The reason why a well-written book is a joy to read is because I can just read it organically and that character comes through. If people want to contact you and are interested in working with you in a professional way, how should they get a hold of you? And are you accepting uh, new work? I'm always accepting new work. I do have a profile on ACX. You can reach me by email, which is a long name. My name, Heidi Bindhammer at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just look up Heidi Bintamer. I, I have no creative name whatsoever. I'm just me. You do a Google search, you'll probably find me. I show up on Audible and Amazon as Heidi Bintamer, so it's pretty easy to find me. And my name is very uh, easy. It's just Bind and Hammer because it's so well written. And now a tip of the day from the writer's toolbox. My husband and I have a tiny house out in the country, and so I tacked a a blanket to the wall. And I have this accordion mattress, so I had that wrapped around me and, you know, stuff on the floor to help dampen the sound. But, you know, chipmunks, birds, those come through. So, you know, you have to have all the windows shut tight and everything else. If you have something you want to hear us talk about, make some comments below. Check out our Two Chicks Talk Writing website at www.the2chickstalkwriting.com. You'll find all of our past podcast episodes there, as well as some tools and tips and freebies you can download. You can also check out our Facebook page, Two Chicks Talk Writing, and our Instagram at Two Chicks Talk Writing.